Welcome to the Fables and Reflections podcast, where we reflect on any and all of the fables of Neil Gaiman. I'm your host, Angela Bones Bullock. And I'm the other host, J.D. Martin. Listeners, you uh, don't realize that uh, that Angela just had to read that five times. It's like three, but yes. Uh. <laughs> I'm also going with mental reads as well, mm-hmm. because as we all know, I can read minds like Druig. Yes, uh, so on today's episode, uh, we are covering the intersection of, uh, two legends. Two very high concept, uh, users, I guess you can say, or they prefer a lot of high concepts, use use a lot of high concepts, that's the wording I'm going for. Uh, yes, it Um, is totally, um, James Patterson and Bram Stoker. Uh, we're covering Neil Gaiman's Eternals. Uh, so I want to have the first, probably good chunk of the episode, just be about this concept and history of this uh, bonkers-ass idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like, if you look at the bullet points, <laughs> this is probably uh, probably Kirby's most out-there idea yeah this is him taking taking the fourth world but um weirder weirder well so yeah so okay what you have it's kind of the end of an unofficial trilogy Mm -hmm. um what kirby did was while he was at marvel and he was writing thor because after a certain point he he was the one writing thor um and lee was just kind of writing the dialogue like all of the space designs and and all of that just like psychedelic shit that that ended up in thor uh the like the heavy metal stuff was all kirby uh 100% kirby and so he was putting away while he was doing thor putting away what he wanted to do next with that series of stories which was have ragnarok happen so the gods die and the new gods then rise in their place and that is why the fourth world book is called the new gods or that that particular one is called the new gods mm-hmm. uh and he does that at dc because marvel pissed him off for the third time i think by that point is when he left like three or four times like 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 back and forth with marvel just bouncing between marvel and dc so he then goes DC does the fourth world books, taking all of these ideas that he didn't want to use at Marvel because he was starting to become unhappy there. And like, he's like, I'm, I'm not giving them these. Uh, eventually comes back to Marvel after DC didn't quite work out. That's when he does a couple of books just off the rails. I think this is also the time he does uh, his 2001 adaptation. Yeah, over at Marvel, yeah. Yeah, I think I think this is that I think this is that same era where that one readers, without having I don't think of having seen the movie because he just didn't have time to go to the movies. <laughs> they, I think they just gave him like the bullet points of the script. Oh no! And like maybe some like production design stuff, and then he just went with it, and it ended up being an ongoing, and he did the entire thing. And <laughs> 
It, it just turned into a Kirby thing. Not not a Arthur C. Clarke, not a Kubrick thing. It just became a, a Kirby thing after a little bit. So this is just really spreading his wings. This is a, what, mid, mid-late mid 70s Kirby? Yeah, because the 2001 comic was like 77, I think? Yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah, so I don't know, time is a lake. Time is a lake. Uh, so the basic premise of the Eternals, of what he wanted to kind of close out his trilogy of ideas of Thor, then the new gods, and the fourth world, and then the uh, books he was... Because Eternals didn't really have a companion book like the fourth world did it. I know he was doing other books, but I don't think it was a companion piece. There wasn't any companion pieces, were there? Uh, it was just Eternals. Yeah, it was just Eternals because, like, with the New Gods, he he had the Mister Miracle comic, and he introduced a Forever lo- People, Forever People, yeah, Mister Miracle, Forever People, and he was also New introducing Gods. those characters in other books. Like, he introduced Darkseid yeah. and Jimmy Olsen, and he was also writing the uh, he was writing the comic Superpowers, which was based on a toy line, and like he was also doing Commandi, which is like its own thing, and yeah, he was yeah. Yeah, but yeah, with Eternals, this was it was only it was just the one book for Eternals. Yeah, so it was uh, much more self-contained, but not any less ambitious. No, because they even like they wanted him to incorporate Eternals into like integrate it into the into the Marvel universe, and he was like, eh, "I'll kind of do that, but mostly I'm going to do my own thing." Uh, well, so his idea of kind of basic idea for the Eternals um, came from what was the name of the book? Chariots of the I Gods. I in my notes. Yeah, Char- yeah, Chariots of the Gods which was this like kind of flash in the pan book bestseller. Kind of like The Secret. You know, it's like what, 15 years on and The Secret's kind of like burned out. <laughs> I feel like Chariots of the Gods is kind of like, was kind of like that. I still want to know what The Secret is. Who is keeping this secret? And what is it? I don't know. It, I, I think it, it. I think MMLs use it. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> multi-level marketing. M- oh. MLMs. MLMs. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Sure. Makes sense. So he kind of took that idea for the Eternals and and just fucking ran with it. Not even that he like even really believed it, but he was just kind of like, "That's a good idea. I'm gonna log it away." It's, when you, when you hear tales about what his uh about what his studio looked like, mm-hmm. uh, especially the one in New York, which was in his basement, it was his drawing table, which is this beat up old thing, uh, at an old kitchen chair, uh, a TV slash radio to just like have on to listen to, and then just an ungodly amount of like sci-fi magazines and pulp novels. And just, and like, because he wouldn't even necessarily use them for references in terms of art. He would like, uh, use them, like, pick through them for ideas for certain stuff. And would like, just like, flip through something real quick and like, okay, there's, you know, there's that idea. And, uh, so yeah, he would, he just had like this, all these bookcases behind him in his basement of just full of, yeah, just old pulp magazines and, and books and dime novels and, can you imagine? Uh, can you, the like, like, just, just picture the king just sitting there, pipe sticking out of sticking out of his mouth. 
yep. pen, like pencil in one hand, a book in, and book in the other, and just like taking a look at it, and like, eh. and that's just good, and just tossing it behind him and starts drawing something. As as someone who's uh as someone who's attempted to get good enough at drawing to halfway post, um, it is. Look, you're better than than it, I am. It, it, uh, thank you. I, I yeah, I'm not gonna say like I'm trash, but like you know the the discipline it takes to get to any type of real real skill is insane. But yeah, Kirby would just like start in a corner. He he wouldn't do layouts, wouldn't do thumbnails. He would just sit down with a blank sheet of paper, start in one corner, and then do the entire page. And he would do f- three to five of those a day. <laughs> like he would get he would get one twenty two page book done in one week. Jesus. Yeah, it's insane pace, an absolutely insane like a madman pace. Like not only was he skilled, but just the speed and the level of imagination. So he's bringing all of this to bear for the Eternals. Uh, I know we're talking mainly about Kirby right now on this Neil Gaiman podcast. I don't think we kind of have to, though. We kind of have to because this is such a major, like, like even even Neil Gaiman talks about like this is like this is he's like this is like me entering into Kirby's world. Yeah. Well, yeah, because like his his first American comic book was a Lee Kirby Thor comic. Because he loved, because he, he had a, a, a copy of Norse myths that he read all the time. And so, like, he went to, like, the grocery store one, one day. And, like, there was, like, a reprint of a, of a British reprint of a Kirby Lee Thor comic. So he's like, oh, shit, Thor. Like, you know, hey, Dad, can I get the Thor comic? And, yeah, he said he was like, pretty much immediately hooked uh, on Kirby from that point. And who wouldn't? Like, the way Kirby drew his characters i mean i mean the 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 blockiness was it was all it was almost as if like the block the blockiness of the way he drew uh, he drew his characters was so at odds with the fluidity of his Mm. pacing and the fluidity of the way the characters would move Mm. because that's something that i clocked at a young age with, with kirby was like i like the the almost just like the almost like squareness of their face of like his character's faces yeah and yeah. uh and like as i've gotten older i've just appre- i've just come to appreciate that and uh you know there are there are the artists that i just in terms of style prefer uh like darwin cook darwin cook is like a perfect combination of kirby and bruce tim and yeah but like I, but I will always appreciate, uh, and 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 like hold up Kirby for the just sheer unfiltered imagination on top of his uncompromising style and uh, yeah. the fluidity and pacing of his books. Yeah, exactly. There's a um, there's a famous quote of his. So like, what one, one of Kirby's early jobs. Uh, so he, he, it took a little bit, he, his, before his dad became unemployed, he took a little bit of classes at, at the pin, pin, is it some, I forget the name of the place, but it's a famous art school up in New York. Um, and he took a little bit of that, 
uh, took like I think half a semester in terms of payment before he had to quit. And so he'd left there and then got a job at Fleischer Studios as a in-betweener for Popeye. And he fucking hated it. <laughs> the like, the like factory th- setting of just like drawing the same thing slightly differently over and over and over again all day. And he was like, nah. And like, and he wasn't even the one to design the poses. He was like, nah. I like, I, I ain't doing this. So he leaves there, and then that's when the you know golden age of comics was was uh, in full swing. So that's what he gets into comics because that was the easiest thing. Like the dream for a lot of comics people were um, g- getting into uh, corporate illustration on like Mad on like Madison Avenue, and and doing those uh, doing those big corporate ads and all that stuff that those people needed. So the reason I, I, I say all that preface and and he he went into comics and stayed in comics specifically. Because he, he just loved the medium so much. Yeah. And uh, the, and the place thing. you're thinking of is the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Pratt, yes. Where he went to when he yes. was 14 and left after a week. Yeah. Jesus so Christ. So he... And then he, yeah. go, and then he goes off, meets Joe Simon. He meets Joe Simon and he creates Captain America. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it, he... Uh, no, he meets Joe at Fox Syndicate. But he also Kirby also worked for Will Eisner for a little bit mm. in in the, in that studio, the studio that uh, Eisner was running. God, what a legend! Yeah, and uh, and and Eisner even like in terms of just like yeah like being this very skilled workhorse like not only because like what's it saying you get you can get fast the three things that you want to make something with fat uh, speed quality and cheap and you can only have two uh and he was definitely skilled and fast they tr- people tried to make him cheap but that's another story mm-hmm. not for this podcast. Uh, so yeah so his but the, the reason i bring all that is because i wanted to bring out this quote of uh co- a famous quote he has is comics will break your heart kid and i actually have a uh, a pin of that on uh on my bag that I take around with me every day. It's a, it's a, what we're saying is that eventually you're going to have to look out for our 10 episode, uh, mini podcast where we're going to be going through the history of Jack Kirby. I, okay. Listen, this podcast was started (laughs) as a, as a chicken, as a game of chicken between me and JD of just like, uh, I forget which one of us made the joke first. Like, Hey, what to do? No game podcast. Sure. And there's neither of us blinked. I said it. Uh, yeah, so like you, you're doing it again. It's like don't think I won't bl- like I won't blink. We like <laughs> it's like you joke now, but wait, <laughs> but wait, there's more, more podcasts on the horizon. Apparently, no, we have to finish this one first. Yes, we do have to finish this one. <laughs> so he. He's bringing all of this skill to bear because this is in the late 70s and he's been drawing comics since the uh, early 40s, late 30s. So all this experience, all this imagination. And he takes this idea from uh, Chariot of the Gods, 
which was published with a question mark, apparently. Chariot of the Gods? Which had the idea of... of uh, the ancient... It was like one of the first things to pitch the ancient astronaut theory, where aliens came to Earth and, like, seeded life or, like, built early technology um, or gave us early technology. And so he took that idea. It's like, okay, well, there's these essentially eldritch gods <laughs> in spacesuits that are like 50 stories tall called the Celestials. Okay. They sh Before we get further, I have to just say, so I'm looking up yep. to see like, like about getting a copy of Chariots of the Gods. And I have to say, whoever is designing these books has dropped the fucking ball. Because they look terrible. They look so goddamn fucking generic, and, I, and I'm so angry at the publishers right now. Please continue. <laughs> so the, uh, these eldritch gods called the Celestials show up on Earth a million years ago, create... And, and I loved about this. Uh, what I love about this in, in the new ongoing series that's ongoing right now, which you should pick up I'm going to. By, Keir yeah, I'm going by to. Kieran Gillen. Well, I was talking generally to the uh, audience. I thought you already had, so. I have not yet, but I'm going you. to. Yeah, we talked about this better. when we were on Panelology. I haven't picked it up yet. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I guess we, yeah, I guess we did. Do you realize how so, much is on my pull list right now? Alex, well, speaking of Panelology, that, Alex keeps fucking growing mine. <laughs> and I keep telling her to shut up. Well, that's what he did with me, and look where I'm at now. I am surrounded by stacks of comics that I just haven't read yet. Yeah. Uh, so they, the Celestial Slid on Earth, they create a hundred beings called the uh, Deviants, and a hundred beings called the Eternals. And then just peace out. <laughs> yeah. They just, they just throw deuces and leave. <laughs> Can you imagine just this giant golden god-looking thing just... Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Deuces. Yeah. <laughs> and so for a long time, so the Eternals, they're part of the machine called Earth. And that's what they call Earth is the machine. And that is their goal, is to protect humanity and life on Earth against the Deviants and other threats. Uh, and the reason they're called Eternals is because when you kill them, if you can kill them, the Earth just makes another one. Yep. Not even just a generic another one. Another one. Like if if you die, just another version of you comes back. Yeah. There's a there's like a mental backup copy, and yeah, all that all that jazz. You know for a fact this is where Hickman got his idea for. Uh, the resurrection on Krakoa. That possibility. This very distinct possibility. I also like the feedback loop, so that aspect of the Eternals inspires him to do that for uh, the X-Men. And then, and then <laughs> Hickman's diagrams then influence Kieran Gillen to give the backstory to <laughs> the Eternals the exact same way in his book. You keep making me want to read Kieran Gillen's Eternals and look, I'm already going to do it. You don't have to sell it to me that hard. 
Uh, it's great. Um, and, and of course, you, you know, you got synergy here because we're talking about this trade, but that also pitching this new ongoing on the day that the movie comes out. Oh, yeah. Uh, everyone, uh, today is the day of the release of Chloe Xiao's Eternals, and everyone should go see it. Most likely, I will have already seen it when this yeah. when you're by the time you're listening to this i will have already seen it because i mean i'm hope i mean i'm hoping that the algorithm gods favor us and that they will have gone to see eternals and then we show up in their feed i mean i'm hoping when so. they google eternals i'm hoping so uh so one thing about the eternals that kirby also did was he wanted them to kind of be the root of human myths so like the kind of the main superman analog one uh that is like the main fighter is icarus yes spelled that way like that with a k yeah uh and then tina which is who angelina jolie plays tina um i I was pronouncing athena like athena it no well yeah i know it is is there uh, there probably is an H. Yeah. There is an H. Athena. Yeah. Athena. Athena. So yeah. It's T H E N A. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you then you have okay, flat out Gilgamesh. You can't give an eternal the name of some preppy valley girl. You can't do that. <laughs> it's like, hi, I'm Tina. I mean, I, I mean, if she, I mean, if she, if she looked like Angelina Jolie in that armor, would you, would you doubt? He's like, yeah, call me Tina. Okay, sure. <laughs> no, I'd be a br- I know I would be a brat and just be like, no. She's what are you gonna do about you it? With, <laughs> I'm gonna something just like skewer, What are you gonna skewer do about you it? With her, <laughs> skewer you with her fucking spear, her light spear that just like shows the fuck up. Yes, mommy. <laughs> Did I just show my true colors on this podcast? Maybe. Sounds like. Uh oh! Then you also just have Gilgamesh. <laughs> who's not even in the in this comic so yeah so like the the main yeah, no, yeah. He's, yeah, he's not. so do you want to get to like the main cast of characters that are in this particular book uh yeah so there's like uh well we already mentioned one uh athena you have icarus uh, athena yeah makari uh mm-hmm. we have athena's so, I mean, father gets... zurus yeah. uh druig who is apparently agaris's cousin mm-hmm. cersei sprite and ajak so you have, yeah, so the long and short of this series is, is that they, it was set in the middle of uh, Civil War. Gross. Uh, that's when it came out, uh, the Marvel Civil War. Gross. One, I guess. But, all right. I think Neil Gaiman agrees with you. So let's talk about that. Yes. The, the jab, <laughs> the fucking jabs. He gives to the idea of the Superhuman Registration Act. Yeah, cause, well, because like he, his his is essentially when he, after sixteen oh two and the success of that book, Joe Casada, the editor in chief, uh, went to Neil Gaiman and said, uh, "So I know how much of a Kirby fan you are. How about you take on the Eternals and try to integrate it into the Marvel universe better than Kirby could? Because Kirby, like mm-hmm. Kirby, really just didn't care." And that's fine. Yeah. Like he just yeah, he's he wanted like, to do his own thing. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, okay, well, take like you being the ultimate Kirby fan, take this big Kirby concept that was never fully integrated into the universe, and try and do that while also telling your own story. 
with the characters. Yeah. And he's like, cool. Sounds like a great challenge. Uh, and, and, but of course what's going on at that point in Marvel is civil war. So he has to reckon with this mess of a comic. It's what well, we say reckon it's Iron Man is a minor character. Mm-hmm. Uh, talks to Cersei, who is a former, who is Eternal, but also a former Avenger. Which she doesn't remember because, like, the whole conceit of this book is the Eternals have forgotten who they are and are now, like, yeah. living normal human lives. Yeah. Except um, a man named Ike Harris, who is actually Icarus, uh, starts yeah. to realize who he is. And he's trying to help the rest of the Eternals remember who they are and also try and figure out why they can't remember who they are. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the... What do you, uh, what do you call it in storytelling? Uh, inciting incident. Ike, uh, yeah, Ike Harris, quote-unquote, shows up to... Uh, what is it? Mark... What's his Mike last name? Curry. Is a human. Mike Curry, yeah, Mer- yeah. Uh, Thing is, if you if you Mercury. say these names fast enough, they sound just like their eternal names, like Mike Curry, McCurry, Macari. Yeah, yeah, Mercury. Yep, who's yeah supposed to be the basis for Mercury? Yeah. Uh. So yeah, the so getting back to the Superior <laughs> Registration Act, the main jabs he takes at it is there's a. You see a reality show going on, America's Next Top Superhero, which I I can't believe that that corporation did not lock down America's Next Top whatever, and like, they've lost so much money on parodies and redos, like, this wasn't America's Next Top Model, that was the first of that ilk, wasn't it? Next top model, yes. Uh, I feel like yeah. I feel like they got. I feel like their their law their, uh, legal department fucked up on that one because they, they get reamed so much on that, uh, being used by other people. So anyway, America's Next Top Superhero, <laughs> where part of their contract was it's a one it's a propaganda for getting supers to register yeah because they're constantly talking about getting registered mm-hmm. uh and then it's also in their contracts on the show that if they use their powers without the producer's permission they will then lose yeah because that and happens like, later get- in um in, in in a later issue there is a uh like a hostage situation and i think all f- i think just two of the two of his heroes or all three of them are at this event yeah, I think it's two yeah mm-hmm. and uh, and one of them and one of, and they're like the two are looking at each other and they're like well i'm not doing anything because i don't want to lose my spot on the show and the other one's like screw that i'm here to help people yeah yeah i like, yeah i'm gonna use my powers to help people and later on you do see where it's like we've never done this in america's next top superhero before but we're bringing a contestant back and it's like you know it's because they kicked her off it like but in a very quiet way it's like yeah we don't want to fire her for helping people but like we don't want that pr 
but we're gonna do it and then just be like a twist bringing someone ah, back a twist yeah oh god they it's small grape i've always hated the fucking editing on i've never been able to watch reality television like that because the editing always just makes me want to blow my brains out <laughs> where it's just, where it's like 50 commercial breaks of build up it's like two minutes of tv three minutes of commercials and then like do that five times to get to the thing that you've been building to insane uh fun fact do you want to know who used to edit reality television mike flanagan. uh i know the guy <laughs> mike flanagan hmm. he got tired of editing reality television so he went to uh he went to kickstarter and he got the funding to make his first movie absentia there you go and now he's made multiple movies that have made millions of dollars and he just put out his third uh, Netflix series, and he's currently working on like three more. Yeah, I know he's kind of the the darling of horror right now, isn't he? Yes, he is, and there's a reason for that because he is awesome. Can you tell that I love Mike Flanagan? Mm-hmm. There is a little bit. I'm getting a little bit of vibes. Everyone, go watch Midnight I- Mass, please. I I need to start that. It is I great. Just, like yeah, I I think I because yeah, Dope Sick is released weekly, and the documentary I was documentary series that mini series I was just watching I just finished. So yeah, I need to start that. I'm currently watching Criminal Minds, <laughs> and hey, if it's, if it's I am the, mad at how much I am enjoying that show. Yeah, if it's the Mandy Patinkin seasons, I was there, I was there with you when they were first airing. Uh, Mandy Patinkin just left where I'm at. No. Uh, he, cause he, his last episode was, well, the, like really his real final episode was the season three premiere, uh, premiere. And then like, he is, there's a little bit in episode two and then he's gone after that. So I'm, okay, so they, so they brought him off. They didn't like kill him or anything. Uh, he eventually just, does get killed off just... screen. I think in like season 12, they kill him off by like he off screen by like, uh, he was pursuing another serial killer and, uh, he got killed just to like prevent away mm-hmm. from Mindy Patikin to come back, but just because he didn't want to come back. And it's like, well, if he's not going to come back, then we'll like eventually kill him off. But no, they just wrote him off. Or, like, he wants to, like, Mandy Patinkin doesn't like being on this extremely violent show anymore, so we're going to, like, let him, like, yeah, it's, go have a nice thought, road trip, essentially. Yeah, I always thought it was, he was, uh, I always thought it was, like, he didn't like TV series, but then now he's on The Good Wife? No, not The Good, The Good Fight. Yeah, and he was on Homeland for a long time, too. Yeah, no, he did do him. Well, the entire series, didn't they? I think he was they on, actually he was, wrote the end of that series. So, like, I think he was on there the entire time, will not he? I believe so. No, the reason, yeah, the reason why he loved Criminal Minds was because he didn't like the, the like, just the extreme violent nature of the show. Because yeah. the whole show is about, like, the FBI catching serial killers and rapists and just the, like, general scum of the earth. He's a. Uh, he's also very much. Uh, seems like a cinnamon roll. He's a dad. The, uh, yeah, like that. 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 Uh, yeah. There you go. Because you had that viral video 
where uh, he responded to that uh, that person TikToker. Yeah, and like there, there was um, there's a TikTok that I found because he's on TikTok. Manny Patinkin's yeah, on TikTok. Yeah, he is, uh, and he's great. And he responds like if you message him, he'll respond. Yeah, and <laughs> he'll like respond uh, sometimes. He uh, there was there was someone on on TikTok who uh, like talked about how like um, their father had just passed away and. Uh, they just wanted to, to thank Mandy Patinkin for uh, portraying Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride because that was like a movie that they bonded over. And he responded like, please, like, tell me your dad's name so I can put him in my prayer book so I can send my prayers toward you. And I want to yeah, thank and like, and I'm like, <sighs> yeah. like well, me and, and like Seth Decker, Seth Decker and I are just like, we just want Mandy Patinkin to be our dad. Like, Manny particular, why won't you just yeah. be our dad? Yeah, it's... It's all we want. You know, if, uh, you know, if, circumstances, if circumstances were right, I'm sure, like, he'd be like, sure. Like, why not? <laughs> Seth and I just, like, just show up as his house, just like... Hey, uh, Mr. Patinkin? Yes, sir. Um, dad? Sorry. Dad? Sorry. Dad? <laughs> yeah. So what is it? Uh, so what does that mean? Where it's uh, somebody you're dating being left alone with your pet, or it's like, don't look at me like that. And then uh, it's and then it cuts to, you're my dad. Boogie boogie boogie. <laughs> <laughs> Just a picture oh, of the of the animal. Yes. You are my dad. You're my dad. Boogie boogie boogie. That's one of the best like wholesome videos of the internet. Yeah, it is. I've I've refined my Instagram uh, reels to a dangerous level. Oh no! <laughs> I spent way too much time on there. So, Eternals. Hmm. I will. I I will break a uh, slight expectation from the previous uh, five episodes. I will throw criticism out there. Um, for this, I think the for this comic? Three, yeah. I feel like the first, as a seven, I think it maybe could have been six issues because the first three as build up, I feel it's a little slow maybe. It's not bad reading it, but just the, like, I could not imagine reading that month to month. Oh, I know. Like, like I'm, I'm, I was reading it. I was like, this is, re- like, this is working for me great the way it is now collected. But I can't imagine reading it as it was coming out. There, there, there are a lot of books that like. It also reminds me like when we when we were reading um, the Green Lantern for Comics Quest. I'm sitting oh, there yeah. like reading like I I cannot believe that I was reading this month to month because it's just so so much over so well, over that's... a long period of time. Well, that was also a little. Each of those issues was a little self-contained. Like where they fight God in that one, that's that's one adventure in one issue, but it builds through the like it helps. Listeners, he doesn't actually fight God. No, it's an alien called the Shepherd that just looks like God. Yeah, looks just like God, but actually devour, but like actually just shrinks plants down and eats them. Uh, yeah, he gets them to vibe and feel good, and then eats them. Yeah, and literally, like you have like the president uh, of, of like like one of the world leaders just being like, 
yeah, we're okay with that. We want to do. And he's like, and you're gonna condemn like the like the future of the world, like the like the grandchildren. You're gonna condemn yeah. them to that. And it's like, eh, it's okay. They won't be around. Yeah, we get superpowers, and uh, you know, our great grands can go fuck themselves. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I yeah, it I I do felt that it was a little slow. Like it 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 works it works okay as a as a train. And also, I like I guess that was the height of them building that model of riding for the trade. It's I think certain people are getting away from riding from the riding for the trade now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's they're telling more individual or like you know instead of a six it's a, instead of a story having to be six issues like it'll be maybe two or three. Yeah, or um, you'll be on the other side of that and you'll have something like um like the current Wonder Woman ongoing, where the first ten issues was one big story. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but even then, so yeah, like each of those issues is still self-contained. Yeah, uh, I'm three or four behind on that one. I loved the, uh, I loved the the Asgard issues. Oh yeah, it's great, and yeah, I just I I love I love everyone. Please go read Becky Cloonan and Mike Conrad's Wonder Woman ongoing. It is great. Uh, also, if you go pick if you go pick up those single issues, uh, there is a great. Uh, like Adventures of Young Diana Backup by Jordi Belair and um, Paulina Gunnishow. That just had a one shot special come out too. Yeah, that that was like they compiled all of the all of the backups into one single issue. Oh, did, oh, was it? I thought it was new. No, okay. no, it's 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 all the backups. Like, cause like it's it's eight, it's like ten eight page backups that they then compiled into one 80 page single issue which of course when i saw that i was like i mean i have every issue but i'm just gonna go ahead and buy that because there are days where i just want to sit and read that um yeah no that is a good one yeah um i'm just gonna say this right now um comics quest slash long haul listeners whenever the long haul comes back at some point just expect that to be one of the episodes because i really love the adventures of young diana I love it. It's just fair enough. I love it. I really the... love Jordi Belair. Fair enough. The the one thing I'll say that maybe what Gaven was doing for those three issues, the first three issues, is like maybe like humanizing them more. Yeah, humanizing them, getting of... us to settle in with them because these are like, yeah. these are essentially gods, and also yeah, us getting like... uh, us getting used to the idea of these are human beings with lives but in actuality they are immortal gods yeah like the note i have is um show them vulnerable and not just the undying tools of eldritch beings (laughs) yeah essentially uh because that's i mean because that's also like kind of how they in like I described them. Th- I described them this way to my brother this afternoon, um, where it they're almost like sentient. They're almost like sentient organic robots. Yeah, like he like um, Icarus. Whenever he's speaking to, I think he's when he's talking to either Iron Man or to Yellow Jacket. Probably both of them. Uh, he doesn't actually call them like he like he doesn't call themselves like uh, like a. Like, hold on. Come here, come here. The, I think 
Thank the Lord I have long arms. Where are you? I'm looking for you. Don't worry, I can find you. You can't hide from me. My collection's on the kitchen table. And whose fault is that? Mine, I guess. I've I've printed out notes. Thank you, sir. Notes are for the week. <laughs> what am I talking about? I just recorded a, recorded a podcast last night, and I took lots of notes. Did I use them? No, because uh, I forgot to take them, o- bring them over here, and uh, and and I couldn't reach them, like I just did with the with this conch. Where is it? Uh, well, while you're finding that, uh, while you're finding that quote, mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to, I kind of also want to start to touch on, uh, John Romita Jr.'s art. Which I love. Uh, I, well, yeah, for this book, I, I very much do. So, what I kind of realized, the reason he works so well for this book is he's, May be the closest thing we have to a modern Kirby. In terms of the that blocky, solid, weighty figures. And that's also why I probably didn't like quite uh, John Romita Jr.'s version of Superman. Because, like, in also, like, I don't quite like Kirby's Superman. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah, like it's, yeah, they like they're just not a good fit for that book. There's a, a sleekness, I think, or like a softness, that has to be there for, or not have to be, but that should probably be there for Superman's strength. Uh, Alex Ross. Uh, made the comment when he's talking about like all of his paintings of Superman, he's like, yeah, like I, he's like this, like Superman is someone that like has never felt pain, knows he is never going to feel pain. So like he wouldn't be all tensed up and, and like teeth grinding and murdered. Like he's just like, he's relaxed. He's knows he's the strongest thing in the room. He knows he's the, he, he knows nothing in a room can hurt him. Like, but in terms of, like, the Eternals and, like, what they do, uh, it's, yeah, it's very much, um, or, like, you know, the, or, like, Kirby's, the, uh, Ben Grimm, like, the thing, like, that, you know, that blocky, grounded, uh, just a hunk of earth <laughs> swinging around. Yeah, I mean, that's why I love, uh, when Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly took on all-star superman that's exactly how they portrayed superman of like this is a guy who just like like why like why would he have to you know feel like like be all grand like he doesn't have to be grandiose and tensed up and 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 and, and all like angry all angry because that's not who superman is like superman is like someone who like knows he can take a bullet no, and, and knows yeah. that that's not going to, that like nothing's going to hurt him physically, so of course he's going to be like the most relaxed human being on the planet. Mm-hmm. Which also makes a uh, 
in terms of in terms of his physicality, that makes sense, but also makes the uh, the flip side of that the nervousness of Clark Kent that more interesting because that's all social. That is a hundred percent social. <laughs> Just like, um, excuse me, Perry, but um, there's uh, like, what do you want, Kent? Uh, but yeah, so in terms of his, oh my god, and then the two-page spread when the Sleeping Eternal awakens, and like he's risen. I up. literally just turned to that page. <laughs> it's it's one it's one you have to turn. It's a two-page spread you have to turn on the side, but it's uh, it's worth like usually I, I'm not a fan of that, but oh, this is so this worth is worth it. it. Yeah. I'm still looking for this quote because I'm going to find it at this point. I'm kind of angry at myself that I can't find it. Uh, I wrote I wrote down the quote I want to talk about, which is, uh, I think, the most game in line in this uh, miniseries. Is it what Zura says to Iron Man? Uh, no, it's, it's uh, Hank to Icarus. Uh, Hank says... They're, they're talking about the, the, so Hank Pym and Iron Man show up because a celestial shows up at the middle of a park and they're like, um, what's up guys? And Icarus is trying to talk them down. And so he's like, so Icarus is talking to him. He's like, look, the robot, like the sun's coming up and he's going to use the sun to recharge and like wake up and we got to stop that. And then Hank just goes, the robot runs on solar energy? Icarus says, exactly. Except it isn't a robot, and it doesn't run on solar energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so, I was... Yes, when, when you no. were um, When we were talking about that, I, when you mentioned that, I was thinking of the line that Zura says to Iron Man after, like, uh, Hank, like, like, uh... Hank tells is like like you have to choose like it's like you have to register you have to choose sides and Zora just says like if you like if you saw two children pl- like uh like arguing in a sandbox would you you know would you tell them to, would you choose a side yeah just like basically telling them it's yep, like we are above this we don't care uh well I also love when he's like when he's like we are gods and then. Iron Man's just like, I met gods. No, you're not. <laughs> and I'm like, Tony, you've met like one god. <laughs> well, no, he said beer with one god. Like, <laughs> he's fought at least a couple. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I, I've given up on looking for the quote. I can't. I really because like I just don't remember where it is. That's the thing. I know Icarus yeah. says it. And I'm like looking at like every panel with Icarus and I'm just like, I just can't find it. But, but essentially, yeah, like they're like these like machines essentially uh, that are created by the Celestials and then are powered by the machine Earth. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I love that moment with Zerus just like, actually, no, I can find that quote because I know where that is. Because at, le- at least I know where that quote is. I can tell you that. Five one. minutes later. Two hours later. Could you hurry up? I'm running out of time cards. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that was that was one of the best jokes in SpongeBob, where it's like just Patrick holding up the time cards. 
Yeah, here it is. So, um, so Zerus, yeah, so in conversation, uh, Iron Man just asks, who are you people? What, what are you? We are the Eternals. We are the court of last resort for humanity and for all living things on Earth. Whose side are you on? We do not choose sides. Countries are lines in the sand. Empires rise and fall. We are timeless. We will still be here tomorrow and a hundred centuries from now. You have to choose sides. You have to register. If you saw two groups of children arguing over which of them could play in some waste ground, would you choose sides? Yeah. And honestly, that right yeah. there is such a perfect like refutation of everything about Civil War, about that Mark Miller was trying to do in Civil War. It's just like you're supposed to all be, you're like all on each other's side. Why are you fighting about this? This is stupid. Yeah, like t- Tony probably got. He probably got screwed over the most in Civil War. Um, even though Cap literally dies. I mean, but after to, Civil I, War. But to, yeah. Well, at the very end, like, but still the thing is, though, is to re, to redeem Tony, what was it, Matt Fraction, I think was writing Iron Man at the time? They yeah. just, they literally erased his memory and stripped away like all of the upgrades he had had for like he had been getting for like the past the previous decade of comics uh and that was an entire story like this entire big storyline where like it turned out of course that the uh that norman osborne uh had a plan to steal the superhuman registration (laughs) Yeah, that was secret. Inv- uh, that was like the end of bank. secret invasion. Yeah, well, yeah. So it was. So while well, I'm talking about the the Iron Man comic after that, so yeah. it's for, so that yeah. So uh, he puts into his play like I'm gonna steal the steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> this is why. No wait. Uh, no wait. 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 You just you you you've landed on something. Nicholas Cage <laughs> Nick, Nick- will play Norman Osborn. <laughs> In future Spider-Man movies, uh, you know, you know what? No, yeah. So what we're uh, oh, no, here's what we're saying. Actually, Willem Dafoe is not coming back as Green Goblin in in No Way Home. They actually cast Nicolas Cage. He could do a cackle. Can you imagine? Could you imagine? Like, and actually, he has like comic accurate hair. So like, he has like the the really short hair with like the red lines in it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the wave, like the white man wave with red hair. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what the hell that is. But like, it's, all I know yeah. is, is I want. Well, <laughs> I want to see it on screen, on Nicolas Cage's yeah. head, as he there is you just, go. yeah, like Spider Man. Yeah, that's all I want now. I hate so, that you gave me this idea. <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> So he, Norman Osborn is like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to steal the superhuman registration data database. And then Tony's like, surprise, it's in my head. I've, I've turned, I've turned my head into, into a database. So I'm going to uh, semi commit suicide by erasing my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that's how they redeem Tony. It's just to have him just look, literally the is, set look, the rebut of himself. If your comic, like 
angers people like 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 pisses people off to the point where other comics have to redeem characters and like and like and like other writers are like jumping through hoops to fix characterizations i think you might have fucked up and like and it's, 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 yeah, and it has it's good and bad it has it's good and bad i will i will say that like there yeah. there are some things there are some things where it's like the like the story can be good but it may like fuck over another writer another creative team on on a solo book where they, where like yeah. it, it it takes their character in a, in a direction they didn't want, but this was like a Marvel wide thing. This was like this was like a a universe wide thing of like this wasn't just like a couple of characters. This was a lot. Like they well, had I to kill this, off Captain I, America and then bring in Bucky to be the new Captain America, and then Steve would come back to life. They had to they had to you know, redeem Tony Stark by having him essentially erase his brain. They had to re- they had to uh, fix. Spider-Man by essentially just using technology to erase everyone's mind from ever from ever thinking that Peter from ever knowing that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, including the people who already knew that he was Spider-Man before Civil War. Was that technology or was that Mephisto? I thought it was technology. Maybe it was Mephisto. I I don't I know. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I'm they pretty had. Sure you're talking about one more day, <laughs> which people also hated. And Joe Quesada also made happen. <laughs> Look, Joe, Joe Quesada is such a mixed bag. I mean, in he's, terms of, in I terms feel of like Marvel editor in chief, I feel like he's better now. He's I feel like that's well because here's the thing: this was still him in his early days as and like in the actual post because like he came in and he and Jimmy Palmiotti came in in the late nine in the late nineties to like dig marvel out of debt and yeah. and and because they were they had filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy so like the two of them like dug marvel out of debt and he was still i think he was and, like because and, this was around the time that he actually like officially got the post of editor-in-chief and i feel like he was still tr- like getting used to that and still trying to figure out what stories people wanted and yeah. You know, you know, of course, you know, like no one's perfect, and sometimes, you f- sometimes you're gonna fuck up, and and you're gonna put out stories that you think people are going to like, when in actuality they don't like. Um, but but like you know, he's cr- still the editor in chief, and he's in right now. There are a ton of great books Marvel's putting out. Uh, I thought he's CCO. No, I'm pretty sure he's still editor in chief. No, uh, no. Editor in chief is the guy that pretended to be a Japanese woman. That's right. Uh, CB Sibolsky, fuck that piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, got a, I got a, a promotion. I think to chief creative officer. Yeah, he's he's executive vice president and creative director. Yep. That's right. He left. Yeah, he he's he stopped being the editor in chief in 2011. That's right. So actually, wait, hold up. Now I'm curious. But in, ter- in terms of business decisions, like, yeah, like, he, Quesada very much turned things around for Marvel, but some of his edicts, man, are, like, were, <laughs> were so fucked up. I mean, yeah, for people a long are, time, people... for, for quite for quite a long time, there was the whole, like, we're not doing any cosmic books. It's all going to be ground level stuff. Uh, Well, then you also, well, okay, now that, 
I could see in terms of like, because that was kind of what was selling. Because that was at the era of like Marvel Knights was fucking huge. Like those were uh, big sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Marvel Knights is what brought in uh, Brian Michael Bendez. Uh, which then, you know, he kind of, I say spearheaded the Ultimate Universe, uh, wrote the only Ultimate Universe book that people gave a shit about, <laughs> which was Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I don't, the other books are not near, remembered nearly as fondly, or they did not last nearly as long as Spider-Man did. Yeah, C.B. Cebulski is still the editor-in-chief at Marvel. I was, che- I was checking that out because I was like, is he still there? He's still there. <laughs> you, were just, you were just crossing your fingers. <laughs> I was just like, please tell me he's still there. He's still fucking there. God damn it. I mean, he's he's letting people do good work, so I... Yeah. I, I can only be so mad as long as he just, like, doesn't make any weird announcements. <laughs> Yeah. Or weird statements. Look, there's a reason look, there's a reason why writers like Teeny Howard and Chip Zdarsky are going over to DC. That's all I'm saying. That's yeah, that's uh probably true too. Although uh DC is yeah, breed just slowly rebuilding their house. I feel like that always happens as a back and forth. Oh yeah. One gets sh- one gets shitty. Everyone, all their talent jumps ship. The other one has rebuilt like what was what made it shitty in the first place. Because like that that was one of the uh, in the seventies to, to bring it back to a turtles. Yeah. Uh, in the seventies, that was one of the reasons why um, he uh, Kirby jumped ship again to DC because that was the second time he jumped to DC, and the editor. They're like only one or two editors that were there that were like refused to work with Kirby and allow Kirby to work for DC had finally left. So he was like, all right, well, things aren't working out with Stan. So like, and he met with a DC editor was like, oh yeah, those dudes are gone. Like, <laughs> do you, do you want to come over? He's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. So what we're saying here is that CB Sobolski needs to step down. Yeah. <laughs> like if if well, I mean, like I I, I like I'm not gonna say he just stepped down solely for that d- d- weirdness with the d- d- like <laughs> pretending to be a Japanese woman to write comics. Um, for those that don't know, listeners, there was a uh, I guess manga tie-ins that they were Marvel was publishing, mm-hmm. and they had an edict that only. Japanese people could could write. Th- oh no, no no no. What it's a had an edict. Editors could not write, or something like that. So he and wrote so, under the under the pseudonym Akira Yoshida. Yes. Uh. So yeah, he pretended to be a Japanese woman and wrote manga for Marvel while editing for Marvel, and now he's their editor in chief. Yeah, it's very. I don't believe. Yeah. So I don't so believe he should quit for that. But clearly there's behind-the-scenes stuff right now that make him a not-good editor-in-chief. Yeah, so it, like, it's weird. Comics are, like, like, I always say on my show, comics are weird. The behind-the-scenes of comics are even weirder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then we were talking uh, a little bit about, since we mentioned uh, 
SF Debris has not been canceled, right? That's solid one. Do you know who SF Debris is? No. Okay. He does uh, reviews, but also like sometimes documentaries where uh, he did like this 12 part series. Like they're each like 10, 15 minutes long uh, about the, it's called the rise and fall of the comics empire. And it's about the speculator bubble. It goes into pretty big detail about what the hell happened at Marvel behind the scenes and in corporate. Because that was, that was part of it. It wasn't even that the comics were selling badly. It was a bunch of very bad business decisions and mergers and sell-offs that sunk the company. And that's when, like, others had to come in, including Joe Quesada, to then write the ship. Uh, and that is also why... That is also the era of why we got the Marvel Cinematic Universe in its current state because all of their A-list characters they had to sell. Yeah, they to they, they, they were selling off Spider-Man. They had to sell Spider-Man and X-Men and Daredevil and all the characters that they had that like were their A-listers at that time like were gone. And that yep. But also, but the other thing is that also like I like whenever someone says like oh Iron Man wasn't an A-lister I'm like bullshit iron man was on cartoons and was selling comics he was he was okay, totally like, an a-lister he was in comics and there was not in the public no, too no, no, no because no, no, he no. was in se- he was, was in so much in cart he was he in was cartoons in, he was in like a what like a 12 like a what like one maybe two season cartoon show i don't remember ever seeing that he was also in, uh, in cartoon in, in movies too um, that's where I got introduced to Iron Man was in, there was, a, there were the two Ultimate Avengers movies when they were essentially doing, let's do the Ultimates, but for kids and actually good. And then there was the Invincible Iron Man movie. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to look up these, <laughs> those, okay. Ultimate Avengers, the movie. Okay. That was 2006. Yeah. Uh, but again, that was mainly based off the Ultimates. He was in that, yes. Yes, he was. That's um, why. That's why I was introduced in- to Iron Man. Invincible. I think so. That's where I was introduced to Iron Man. Iron Man. I think that the Invincible. Okay, the Invincible Iron Man was two thousand seven. So that shit was like the year in before production Iron Man. at I the same this. time. However. He was he was not like schoolyard kids were not like I'm gonna be Iron Man. It's like no, they're gonna be like I'm gonna be Superman or Spider Man. Like only now is he a household like he was a popular comics character. I'm like I'm not shitting on 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 his status before the movie. He was a big comics character and was important. But in terms of the sheer scale of everyone who knows his name now, nowhere near close. Spider-Man did not need the Raimi movies to get to that level of recognition. Iron Man did. That's that's the main that's the main point people talk about. Is yeah, he was he he was yeah an important comics character, but he was not on that level. Uh, which is an insane level. Like, let's let's be clear about that. It is an uh, it's an, almost an inconceivably <laughs> level of just like you go up to a five year old 
hey kid, Iron Man. And then, you know, they like put up their palm. And like, hey kid, Spider Man. Does the, yeah, does the thwip. And then, uh, you know, hey kid, Superman. And he throws up his, you know. I want, I want, like, like, I want, like, the kid to also make sounds. So, like, whenever, like, the Superman, he goes, like, I'm up and away. Or, like, the kid, or the Spider Man, flip. Whenever it's Iron Man, he just goes, D. Guttural noise. That's, that, that's, that's the close caption description. Guttural noise. Guttural child noise. So, uh, Eternals, uh, how much more do we want to say on this? I feel like we haven't Uh, said a whole lot, but there really isn't, I feel like, when it comes to the Eternals, there is, there's there's a lot to talk around. Yeah. There's, because in terms of, it's, it's almost a comic for comics people, in terms of, like, you know, like, there's, like, the comedian's comedian, like, that term, where it's, like, comedians are the ones that really really find him funny mm-hmm. like and, and i feel like that's what um gaiman was doing was yeah he i think he did do a very good job what i find disappointing about this is that the ongoing series that he teed up he a did not write even though like clearly he's like got ideas or like is laying d- groundwork for ideas because the basic premise is is uh the eternals we mentioned they all they all have fully awoken. Yeah. Um, and so the, the like last two pages of the ish last issue are uh their leader being like, all right, well, there's ninety more missing of us. Go forth and find them. Uh, and like that's that's teeing up an ongoing, and they got a new ongoing. Gaiman did not write it, and I don't think it lasted a year. Uh, it like lasted like eleven or twelve issues, I think. Maybe if that. Yeah, and so it's just like that's kind of what I kind of wish there was a volume two by Gaiman. Like in terms of like where this leaves off, it feels very much like this is a volume one. Like here's the setup for everything. Yeah, and even with like on on the final the final panel, there is uh like where is it? Uh, it even just says the beginning with ellipses. Yeah, just exactly. uh, just telling you like this is like th- like there there should be more to this. I don't know. Um, I I love what we have, but I do. Be- but you know, you're right that this this should have. This should have like led to gaming just writing Eternals for like the next five years. Yeah, and it's like, and you know, and let's you know, he may not have wanted to do that, which like that's fine. Yeah, he's got he's got other things he want to do. Yeah, uh, it's not like he he's not like you know Donny Cates or Tom Taylor or or like <laughs> Kelly Thompson where you know that's all that, like comics is what they do and that's yeah. really all they do. Um. Well, I can't really say that for well, Tom Taylor because he also has his, he also has his uh, his show The Deep, but but like that's yeah. like what that's like comics is what they do. Gaiman doesn't just do comics. Like that's the whole point of this show is that he does so much. So yeah. like it, it it you know this definitely feels like he could have also just been teeing up like f- this up for a nut for other writers to take on the Eternals, 
but yeah. oh and and it's oh and in terms of that he you know it's a it's a masterwork yeah it's like in this is like, a great yeah, thing like to, this is a great work. thing to like to then lead mm-hmm. off into something new yeah and yeah i mean and i feel like we're finally getting it with with uh like i said that the the current ongoing so i have to ask um, you a question since you're since you you're you're of of the two of us you're the one who's actually read it and, and currently yeah. reading it is this like a good prequel to the current ongoing? Like, could someone conceivably read this and then start reading the ongoing? You, you, I mean, you could, you could read this. Like, I, I don't regret reading this. I read this way after, like, I started reading the current series. I didn't even, I hadn't even read the the original Kirby Eternals when I read the current ongoing. The, like when I talk of when uh, we joke about the the uh, Jonathan Hickman uh, data dumps on uh, the different pages in the ongoing, it does a beautiful job of like laying down like all right, this is the uh, premise because this is also another time of them waking up in terms of the current ongoing. It's another. Uh, another instance of them waking up, but <laughs> it's because of uh, events in the Avengers where they found out that their premise, their purpose for being, which is to protect humanity long enough for superhumans to mature, uh, because the superhumans are a cure to a celestial disease, like they're the antibodies. Mm-hmm. And so they got a message, essentially. It's like, all right, well, your task is done. Uh, and then they just all commit suicide. <laughs> and this is them waking back up. <laughs> oh, um, you said it didn't even last a year. You're right. It only lasted nine issues. Yeah, oh, I was being, I was being, yeah, I was thinking like, like 11, like, yeah, yeah. no, it was only, I was it was generous. nine issues in an annual. Mm. Which, that's just depressing. I, yeah, that's, those are, if they couldn't even get to the second trade, those must have been horrible numbers. Yeah. But hey, we've got, we've got the current ongoing, we've got motherfucking... Kieran Gillen of all writers on Eternal, which is such a a perfect pick. Yeah, it yeah it it absolutely is. Because um, look, Kieran Gillen, he's just one of those writers where you see his name on the book and you just kind of have to pick it up. And it was like you're you're, you're yeah. like even if it's not his best work, you're still guaranteed to have a great time reading it. Like, you know, his X Men run is not one of my favorites, but it's still mm. pretty awesome. Well, in terms of like, I think with his creator own book of Once and Future, he is 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 kind of showing how much of a a story slash myth nerd he is. Like, probably on par with Gaiman. Yeah, in terms of and just and like, even if you want, you go back a little further with just the Wicked and the Divine. Mm-hmm. Because that whole book is all about gods who, you know, who like live for a hundred years, uh, all die and then get resurrected as new beings. Yeah, which I need to, 
I have, I which I am currently reading because uh, I'll go ahead and yeah. just say this and uh, say this here on the podcast. Um, I think it's uh, let's see, this comes out next week. So I think not next week, but the week after uh, we're doing Wicked and Divine on Comics Quest. Yeah, on yeah on my on on my other on my other show, Comics Quest. Uh, uh, another another CPOV production. Yes, another super, certain POV production. Um, do we have any final thoughts on uh, on Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr.'s Eternals? Uh it's great. Um, go get it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's cool. Um, also, you know, go see the movie. Um, mm. We, I will, I will say, it was a movie. It, 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 that that is all we can say currently. Yeah, yeah that's all a, we can say. Um, yeah, but when, it but, has Kumail uh, Nanjiani in it. It does, uh, as a character who is not in this comic. Correct. Yeah, because like the only uh, like of um like I mentioned at the top of this episode, like there are a lot of characters who are in the who are in the movie who just aren't in this particular comic. Like, uh, Kumail Nanjiani is playing Kingo. I think just mainly, hmm? I, I think mainly just two: Kingo and Gilgamesh. Um, yeah, Gilgamesh. Uh, who's played by? Oh, and also, uh, but also, um, Brian Tyree Henry's character, and I cannot remember his name. Uh, he's the one who's he was like the one who's uh in in is like usually uh, mistaken for Hephaestus in, in throughout history. I'm going to be looking this up real quick because oh, I had yeah, it in my head. Yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm blanking on his character's name right now, and it's pissing me off. Let's see, Icarus Kingo. Festos. Oh yeah, yeah. They're the one. Yeah, they're like the main characters. Also, I'm kind of mad at myself for looking at the Wikipedia because, uh, for some reason, someone decided to put in uh who appears in a post credit scene in Eternals. Uh oh, I think that was a big controversy because, like, there was uh. The LA, the the people that went to the LA premieres and screeners, they spoiled like one it. of the, yeah, like the yeah, like they put it all over Twitter, and they like they put it in the fucking headline too. Um, I mean, I looked it up because I, like, I personally don't mind spoilers that much. Yeah. Um, certain ones. So like I guess we'll go ahead and say it right a- now. Apparently, in a post credit scene, we're getting Star Fox, played by Harry Styles, which is. Such yeah. perfect casting, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm so happy that uh, we're like, finally bringing in like Thanos's family. Yeah, it's yeah, cause they, yeah, cause they also did. Um, they also announced what's his face as uh his other brother. I only know of Star Fox. I forgot he. I remember him having another brother. He says it. No, I'm thinking of Adam. I'm thinking of Adam. Oh, Adam Warlock. Yeah, Adam, uh, t- I'm of the Adam actually Warlock tying it to a comic that we have discussed on Comics Quest. Uh, we're yes, getting we, they announced a Will Poulter as Adam Warlock, which I was seeing a lot of shade thrown toward uh, thrown toward Will Poulter on Twitter. They were and all, I'm having they were none all of it. Using old photos because they were all using old photos. When I saw a modern photo and like he was doing the eyebrow thing, and I was like, all right, yeah, fuck, but but like. <laughs> I was seeing some shade thrown toward Will Poulter on Twitter, and I'm having none of that shit. All y'all put some motherfucking respect on Will Poulter's name. Because, yes, everyone remembers him as the weird, awkward dude from Weird the Millers. 
everyone forgets that he was recently in The Revenant and Detroit, and he fucking killed it in both of those. And just go back to when he was a child, everyone go watch Son of Rambo. Please, everyone go watch Son of Rambo. That movie is absolutely incredible. Does it have Stallone in it or not? No, it's no, it, it's nothing to do. Not with. not that Rambo. No, I mean, it, okay. It, okay. Look, this the, the <laughs> okay, the the story of Son of Rambo, which is spelled R A M B O W, okay, so like the okay. traditional Rambo, but with W at the end. The story of Son of Rambo is a new kid. So it takes place in the UK. So it's two British kids. Uh, the new kid um comes to the school and he kinda. Uh, gets linked up with the school bully who is played by Will Poulter. His name is Lee Carter. And they start making their own Rambo movie. Okay. And they're like 12. So it's kind of like... This was the movie that Garth Jennings made right before The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. And also, lest we forget, that same Garth Jennings would go on to make both of the Sing movies. Garth Jennings is weird, y'all. I don't get it. I... The Sig movies, I saw a decent amount in the hospital on the hospital television, so it was like through the speaker and anyway. So you're saying that when you were uh, watching it, you, were, you weren't like, I choose death and just unplugged everything? <laughs> uh, no, it's... Well, no, that was the thing. It was like, this is... Fine. Fine. <laughs> it's like this is not offensive. Uh, I've only really raged at one movie, and that was M Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. It's the only movie I've that has enraged me. Oh yeah, that is that that yeah. Well, that's all. Th- there are also just certain movies that we haven't seen, thankfully, and we're not going to and we're not going to do that. <laughs> look, I look, um, I'm someone like I kind of enjoy John Tucker Must Die. But there are moments in that movie that I will, like, scream at my television. Like, no! You're wrong! I still, I'm still well, not, I'm still right. not over the basketball sequence where they give him estrogen. I'm not, I'm not over it. I'm not over it because it's just so what? weird. Okay, so in the movie, I'm going to explain this to the audience. So in the movie, John Tucker Must Die, do you know the, do you know the story of John, of the movie? John Tucker Must Die. John Tucker Must Die is a movie in which the titular character, John Tucker, uh, he is this... Uh, he must die, right? Like yeah, this, like... The, oh, I, I was, <laughs> more like the, his reputation. They want to they murder his reputation. So, like, this no. new girl played by Brittany Snow comes to the school and she uh, receives the affections of the most popular guy in school, John Tucker, who is... Uh, who, like, dates everyone uh mm-hmm. at the same time and these three so like these three other girls all realize that they're dating john tucker at the same time so what they do is they get britney snow to date him and then try and break his heart that is like the whole story so but they also not only want to break his heart but they also want to destroy his reputation so one of the things they try to do is they try to make him seem not such a macho dude so mm-hmm. they put estrogen in his Gatorade and then during a basketball game he starts acting like a stereotypical woman and like there's a moment when like he starts getting angry he's like coach I'm upset I'm frustrated and my nipples hurt 
And when I was on Below Freezing with CJ and Micah, Micah and I were raging at that scene because it's like, that is not what estrogen does to you, you motherfuckers. It is such a weird movie. Yeah. It is such uh, a weird movie. So- sounds like it. Everyone go watch John Tucker Must Die. <laughs> but make sure you have friends. Make sure you have friends, and then you can all just rage at the movie together and have a good time. So so this raid is an endorsement, okay. Yeah, this is this is an endorsement. <laughs> it, uh, it is a... I, I am very sad that I had to watch that movie by myself. I really wish I watched it with friends. Yeah. All right. Um, so on that note, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that, those are I, our thoughts on the internals by Neil Gaiman. Uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the long and short of it is it's, um, it's definitely one to be experienced. Uh, cause I mean, yeah, the, the plot isn't that we can, yeah, if we explain it, it's like they wake up, there's this, they're, they're, they're all human the, beings and then one of them yeah. realizes that they're actually you know these immortal gods and they have to try and figure mm-hmm. out how and why this happened yeah which uh which we didn't explain that it's sprite it's a pretty sprite was the yeah, reason yeah, it's i was gonna keep it a secret for them anyway no yeah, they should have written they the should have read this one. by now yeah true i don't know i'm weird and listen to podcasts about movies and comics and books that i haven't read but i want to so I just listen to the video. I feel sorry for every for everyone who listens to Comics Quest who hasn't read the comic of the episode because I'm like, we spoil the shit out of those comics. Because we like basically go beat for beat every like every comic of like this is what happens in every, yeah. in the entire comic. Uh, but yeah, I did like that plot point where it's just like Sprite was like, you know what sucks. Being eleven for a million years, and you know what? Not an Sprite's exaggeration. Not Hashtag Sprite's not wrong. Hashtag Sprite well, did nothing wrong. Sprite, <laughs> Sprite is wrong in that he unwillingly he like it makes, uh, you know, everybody else mortal when they didn't have a say in it, and uh, then almost destroys the world. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, go check it out. Go check out the Eternals movie, uh, and of course, up our we're algorithm. Not in, we're not endorsed by this. Marvel, just so you know. Disney, neither Disney nor Marvel, uh, and, and like and like, you know, encountered us in a dark uh, alley to to ask and, us to, unless they to to do anything. Unless they want to give us money, I mean, if I they want to, no. sure, I'm all for it. Yeah, I won't say no. Hey, y'all, Eternals is a movie that you should watch. <laughs> Please give us money, Marvel. Endorsed. <laughs> Hashtag endorsed. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, I get, well, so, before the credits roll, uh, I can see you Friday after next for you know, what we got coming up, JD? I believe we're doing Sandman Overture. We are, we are, uh, so and bring, I believe. So we're bringing uh, Nick uh, back. We are. Nick will be joining us again, and I don't know if it will release released by then. But we are also upcoming on Men of Steel, correct? For Neil Gaiman's Miracle Man. Yeah, we're yeah we're uh, we're yeah 
that's happening. I'm I'm assuming yeah. oh, because I believe uh we actually release like on the same day, like Men of Steel releases on the same day as us. So uh, so yeah. So I believe that's actually coming out. Not this week, uh, not today, um, but like, uh, I think it's releasing the same day as Overture. Possibly, I'm not sure. We haven't recorded keep that. We haven't recorded that. that yet. We're going to though. But yeah, keep it on. It is not. Yep. It is time. It is time is a lake. So either we have at the same moment not recorded this podcast yet, as well as it having been released, either currently or in the future. All we're saying is uh, make sure you check out Men of Steel at some point in time to look for us on and to look for us uh, discussing with casing J. Mike uh, Neil Gaiman's Miracle Man run. Mm. Uh, at CPOB.com. Yes. And with all that said, uh, yeah. So make sure you look out for that and come back in two weeks to hear us bring Nick back and discuss uh, Sandman Overture. Bye. Bye. And the most brilliant part is, I don't even know how to read. Thank you to my big brother, Sean Bullock, for our theme. You can check out his work at seanbullock.com. And the wonderful Nikki Burger for our logo, who you can find on Twitter at DoubleBurger and on Instagram at DoubleBurgerComics. For updates, sharing your thoughts, or if you just want to yell at us, check out the show on Twitter and Instagram at F&RPod. And you can find me on Twitter at JD underscore Martin underscore. And you can check me out on Twitter at BullockBits, where you can find info to my comics, history Instagram, and cat Instagram. And come hang out with us on the show's Discord. Check out the links to everything in the episode's description. Including our wonderful guest info. Whoever that may be. Below. That's good. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't Screen Beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential Screen Beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts, fresh and tasty off the presses. What? What? That's... No, that's not... Can I call them Screen Beans now? Fine. Screen Beans! So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole Screen Beans now. CPOV CertainPOV.com